You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Please welcome to the stage, Poppy Jones. Brilliant. Okay, thanks Lucy. Can you all hear me all right? Okay, so I thought tonight I would tell you a little bit about our grandparents. Um, I say our grandparents because my brother is in the room, so saying my grandparents feels a bit overly possessive. Um, So our grandparents were true Norfolk characters. They lived all their lives in rural North Norfolk and As much as I hate and detest the many untrue and lazy stereotypes about people who live in rural Norfolk, um, there are some that we have to admit have a grain of truth to them and other aspects of their lives that you really couldn't make up. Um, So our grandparents were farmers, so far so predictable, uh, and they lived in a remote part of North Norfolk which sort of in a zone, really. If you were to draw a rectangle between Holt, Fakenham, Deerham and Aylsham, they'd have sort of somewhere deep in that zone without actually being anywhere near Holt, Fakenham, Deerham or Aylsham. Um, And the main farm that they lived in for for over 40 years and where our mum was brought up was so remote that our mum says that until she started school at the age of five... She thought that her and her brother were the only children in the entire world. (laughs) But about about 15, 16 years ago, our grandparents, after they'd retired from the farm, they moved um, into a bungalow in a village. And they had to start getting used to having neighbours for the first time in, in a very long time. And it was quite an adjustment for them. It was a while, for example, before we could persuade them that it was no longer really okay if you found undesirable things in your garden, weeds, snails, dead pigeons, to fling those over the hedge. <laughs> because these are no longer <laughs> landing on uh, occasionally visited farmland, but on the well-manicured lawns of their new neighbour's five-star bed and breakfast. <laughs> and while she catered primarily to bird watchers, catapulting dead pigeons wasn't really what they came to Norfolk to see. Um, but Hindelvesson's a village um, and it was a village large enough that it has a street called The Street you're looking like you know it I'm amazed um, but fantastic Um, yes a street called The Street uh, and it even has public transport links so there is one bus a week to Norwich on a a Tuesday I believe um, which drops you off at about 11am and leaves at one o'clock to take you home again. <laughs> so time for, time for a quick lunch, basically. Um, and the reason for that is probably that most people that live there probably don't see much of a reason to need to leave Hindelveston. It's the kind of place where, you know, the crisis last year was when our grandparents' friend and neighbour, David, had to, oh well, who is famous um, for his enormous runner bean, I should add that, had to leave... <laughs> the farmhouse where he'd been born and where he'd lived for the last 70 years and for a worrying moment might even have had to have left the village 
if a suitable house hadn't come up just down the road, but fortunately it did, just in time, crisis averted. Um, but it's an interesting place, and I don't know if you've found this, but it seems to have its own microclimate. You often go there and there'll be snow there when there's no snow anywhere else. And in the summer, it's often a good 10 degrees hotter than anywhere else as well. So we used to take separate outfits to change into when we got there, and you would be met with this blast of warm air, similar to when you get off a plane in southern Spain. It was bizarre. Um, so there was that. And what was um, interesting about Hindelvestin, I suppose you've got these kind of close-knit communities, you've got these public transport links, different weather. You can start to see how, over time, see longer ago, real cultural differences would build up between places that are really in a very small geographical area. And so it's not hard to imagine, you know, when our grandfather's father grew up in Hindelvestin, also, this is about 100 years ago, Apparently, if any foreigners from the neighbouring village, a few metres away, approached the border of Hindelvestin, the people would pelt them with sticks until they ran away. And there's no longer that vibe at all. It's now a very friendly, welcoming place. And our grandparents and their neighbours are wonderful, kind people. But you do still have that sense of there's very much a contained community where people know each other well. And some of those differences you still see um, in little things like accents... I think this is a vanishing skill, identifying these different accents as well. So if you take me, for example, I can tell the difference between a Norwich accent and a Norfolk accent. Thank you very much. It is on my CV. Um, my mum can tell the difference between a North Norfolk accent, a South Norfolk accent, and a West Norfolk accent. Quite impressive. Uh, Grandad could tell where people came from within North Norfolk to within a few miles just by their accent. And when he was in hospital a few years ago and me and my brother Rio went to visit him, he told us that there was a, a porter who'd moved him to a different ward and he'd been able to tell from, just from listening to this man that he came from Fakenham. And we were amazed. <laughs> but when it came to accents from other parts of the country, that was where he, he struggled a bit more. Um, and I think it was on this same hospital visit there was a doctor who came in and, and spoke to him while we were there and he was very sort of ginger ginger hair pale skin glasses queen's english accent and good afternoon mr lake and how are you today how are you getting on he left the room and granddad turned to us and said what country do you think he was from then <laughs> <laughs> and um and while granddad was in hospital and he was obviously treated with modern medicine and so on he did all of that but he also, I think it's a product of his upbringing and, and being in the part of the world that he was, really held on to and believed in all the very traditional medicines and cures and things that had been passed down through the years from different generations. Um, and I'm going to leave you with some of these gems of wisdom and advice. Um, although I'll start by saying, do not follow this advice. <laughs> Please do not follow this advice. Please go and see an actual qualified medical practitioner. Um, the first one is apparently a cure for acne. So obviously, we've got, you know, cosmetics and, and skincare organisations making millions out of selling people different, different products for acne. But actually, it's very simple. All you need is a common toad. And apparently, if you pick up a toad, it will secrete a certain substance. I don't know what that is. But if you put that on your spots, you'll clear them up in no time. And apparently a lot of people used to do this, I think especially during the war, probably beforehand. 
Um, another one he told us about was for uh, whooping cough, which is a very nasty illness that used to kill a lot of young children, and both Grandad and his sister had whooping cough when they were young. And this advice apparently came from an aunt who worked at Great Ormond Street Hospital in London, although having heard the advice, I have doubts about her credentials, and, and you may also. So apparently what she told their mother to do was to cook and feed them a mouse. <laughs> I don't know if they ever did that, but um, they did survive whooping cough, so <laughs> maybe they did. I don't know. Um, the third one was around uh, danger of skin cancer, and here Grandad's advice and the more standard medical advice concurred to a, to a point, and then it differed wildly. Um, so you completely agree, you know, dangerous to be out in the sun, keep an eye on your skin, look for any changes, any new moles, this kind of thing. Sound advice would then be, if you do notice something, go and see a doctor. Grandad's advice was, you want to take your first spit of the day. I had, it took me a while, a while for that to sink in for me as well. Your first spit of the day. And you want to rub that on the affected area every morning for a couple of weeks. Sort that out, no problem. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't ever do that. Go and see a doctor. Um, and lastly, this is for any dog owners. I don't know if we've got any dog owners here. But again, a lot of people probably spending a lot of time, effort, money, training their dogs, going to obedience classes, all sorts of stuff. You don't need any of that. First step, leave the dog at home. Forget about the dog. Go out and find a frog. Ideally around midnight, but I, I don't know how much it matters. Um, take that frog home. Boil the frog until there's one bone left. Don't ask me how that bit works either. I, don't, I just don't understand the physics of that. But anyway, boil it till there's one bone left. Put that bone in your pocket and you'll teach that dog to do anything. <laughs> Thank you. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.